0: and however it comes out of your mouth the first time, you just commit and then you always say it that way.
1: Hi and welcome to Meet Your Heroes. I'm Audrey. And I'm Elliot. And this is the show where we ignore the very good conventional wisdom to never meet your heroes. And instead, get up close and personal with the lesser-known legacies and real-life bad behavior of some of history's most notable and beloved people.
0: Speaking of lesser-known legacies, uh, one of our heroes is back in the news this week.
1: Oh, yes, he sure is.
0: Yeah, uh, Dr. Seuss.
1: This one's a big one. So, you know, every few weeks, one of our heroes makes the news. It starts trending. It's usually Ronald Reagan. Like like every few weeks something happens and it's Ronald Reagan trending on Twitter. And then, you know, we have to go through that whole mess. Sometimes it's Columbus. It's been a few other folks. But this is the first time it's been Dr. Seuss.
0: And... It's about time, honestly.
1: Mm-hmm. This one, the internet was not ready for.
0: No. People well, were not
1: ready for this one. And the internet
0: doesn't even know about The Little Book of Boners yet.
1: <laughs> you know, it's actually a four-part series, <laughs> yes, Dr. The... Seuss's four-part boner book series. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, if you're
0: not familiar with the boner book series that Dr. Seuss wrote, go check out that episode. Uh, well worth listening to. <laughs>
1: yeah, and that's actually not even the most, at, or at all, uh, Of the erotic fiction that Dr. Seuss tried to write.
0: Yeah, that is one of the most endearing things about him in that episode.
1: But this week's hero is essentially the opposite of Dr.
0: Seuss. Oh, the opposite.
1: Mm -hmm. If I had to pick, if somebody was like, okay, so you've got Dr. Seuss.
0: Mr. Clean, opposite.
1: Yeah, I would be like, rock star. Chaos. Chaos.
0: Not a children's author.
1: Not a children's author. Not even sure he ever met a child. Okay. And can't confirm that he's ever seen a child in real life.
0: All right. Well, then don't keep it in suspense.
1: Well, I mean, obviously, if people are listening to this, they saw it. But there's no suspense. This week's hero is Jim Morrison. What do you know about Jim Morrison?
0: Uh, Jim Morrison. He is the lead singer of The Doors. Is that right? Correct. And he was a rock star. mm mm-hmm. He's dead. Big time. That's that's most of it. That's most
1: of what I know. Yes. Are you, are you a fan of the Doors? Not really. Me no. either. I honestly could not have named a a song by the Doors until it, I saw. Hold on.
0: Wait. Is it? Uh, let me see if I get one. Come on, <laughs> baby, light my fire. Is that them? Light my fire. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I saw a list of songs and I was like, oh, that's the Doors. Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, that's maybe the only one I know.
1: But you know what? I could pick out anywhere what's that that black and white photo of Jim Morrison that every emo college kid had hanging on their wall in 2004
0: Oh yes 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 I know this one that you're talking about
1: the early doors days the skinny Jim Morrison real rock star vibes high cheekbones very big cheekbones it's big big cheekbones Jim in those early days so that's what I know about Jim Morrison yes okay <laughs> all right well, Let's talk about who he actually was. Let's do it. Born December 8th, 1943. We can cut the bullshit. It's Audrey's (laughs) Astrology Corner. Headstrong and imperious, a December 8th Sagittarius has a docile side. They express this by constant personality changes. Because they tend to extremes, it's not uncommon for them to regret many of their choices, they have creative talent, but seem to prefer the life of a dilettante. This attitude, if unchecked, can be their downfall.
0: Oh, foreshadowing!
1: Foreshadowing. So, I mean, come on, now you've got like, I don't know. This is episode fifty-nine. I've done half of them. What is that?
0: Thirty data points.
1: Almost thirty. Almost. Well, we didn't start this till a little bit later, but yeah, we're talking about like twenty-five points that you could you could look at and be like wow if this isn't cosmic i don't know what is
0: yeah maybe maybe i don't know what is or maybe <laughs> maybe somebody's like oh when was jim morrison born oh yeah this one will fit perfectly
1: <laughs> all right well regardless he was born in florida he has two younger siblings his father was in the military so you know they moved around a lot his father was apparently incredibly strict in demanding But, and this is important, not abusive. So his parents made it a point explicitly to not use corporal punishment with their children. What they did do instead was a good old fashioned military dress down every time you fucked up. So they just like berated the children, were incredibly demanding, lots of like fall in line, demand, compliance. I'm going to go ahead and just go out on a limb here and say, a uh, whole lot of Jim's adult life was uh, in rebellion to that.
0: Yeah. Seems seems pretty obvious. Pretty yeah. straight line.
1: Other than that, he had a pretty relatively normal childhood. He was an avid reader. Later in life, people would rec- recall his like high school obsession with Nietzsche. Which oh, too- my God. I know. It's so cliche.
0: Just the most insufferable high schoolers. Um, yeah. Now, uh, yes. Nietzsche is one of those philosophers where... <laughs> He is a he's an unfortunately well suited to be picked up by a fourteen year old who then immediately is like, "Oh, this is deep, oh this is deep, yes,
1: and you can say that because you studied philosophy you are oh yeah, 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 yeah. you're a bit of a philosopher yourself
0: well what can I say uh <laughs> you know that's what they always said if you want to make the big bucks, go into philosophy um Yeah, but he wrote, like, a lot of philosophers will write a big book with a lot of really arcane language to, like, explain something. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, Nietzsche is just, like, he he writes in, he called them aphorisms, right? But it's, like, two or three lines sometimes. And they contradict each other. They don't Mm -hmm. make an argument. Mm -hmm. You don't have to understand any big ideas. Sure. You're just like, oh, yeah. This is, is," it's like a book of quotes, right? Yeah,
1: he's, like, the rupee car of philosophers. No offense, (laughs) rupee (laughs) car.
0: I was going to say, it's, like, the, uh... Emo, angsty, philosophy version of Live, Laugh, Love. Oh, okay. Uh, but... So,
1: you know what? Mine's actually a compliment compared to that. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Mine is just poetry down to one or two lines.
0: Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm belittling Nietzsche a
1: little bit. Okay. Regardless, Jim Morrison, super into Nietzsche, sets up a lot of the ways that he views the world, his writing later on. After he graduates high school, he goes to live with his grandparents back in Florida. Like I said, military brat. They moved around, went to Florida where his grandparents were, started attending college there, uh, Florida State University in Tallahassee, uh, maybe the go, Gators. Go, ta-
0: go Tallahassee Otters.
1: Yeah. I don't know. What are they? The Gators? I think they're the Gators. Or is that the University of Florida?
0: That's the University of Florida. Ah. Go Tallahassee Mountain Mountain
1: Cats. Okay. Well, sorry, Florida. Anyway, he's in Florida. <laughs> He's with his grandparents. He's in school. This is when his first arrest happens. He was arrested for being drunk and disorderly after a football game in 1963. So he's like 19, almost 20. Okay. So this arrest is pretty small peanuts at this point. But starting from this point forward, we are going to talk a lot about Jim's relationship with alcohol. And I want to make it clear from the outset that alcoholism is not some, like, moral failing all of the shitty things that Jim does that we're going to highlight, I don't I don't want that to be misconstrued with judging him based on this disease, right? Like, alcoholism literally changes the way your brain works, and he did not have access to the proper resources to get help, or he chose not to get help. But I do want to talk about the things that he should be accountable for, um, even though a lot of it was fundamentally the result of alcohol abuse. Yes,
0: and alcohol abuse doesn't it doesn't excuse any unresolved issues you may have in other areas of your life and the, you know, fundamental behaviors you choose to, like, enact on others.
1: Absolutely. And I'm going to put some resources in the show notes or, like, on social media in case there are people listening to this episode who are struggling with alcoholism or their mental health or sort of just, like, want to reevaluate their relationship to alcohol. I've put those resources together. And so if folks want them, they're available to you. But back to Jim. It's 1964, he's 21 at this point, still living in Florida, decides it's the pits. So, he decides what he wants to do is go
0: That's what it is. Tallahassee, go Florida pits. That's what it was. It's
1: Florida State University. They're not the pits.
0: I'm pretty sure it's the Florida pits. (laughs)
1: Let us know. (laughs) Very loudly, all caps on Twitter, please. Anyway, he decides UCLA Film School is actually where it's at. So he transfers to UCLA in 1965. Like I said, he's a smart dude, really avid reader. Maybe they just let anybody back into film school back then. I don't know. But he gets into this really competitive film school. He goes, he graduates.
0: Okay, great. He does graduate from school. Wow. He does.
1: So he has a bachelor's in film from <laughs> UCLA.
0: All those rock stars with their college degrees, Yes.
1: He's making some small films with his friends. He's writing a lot. Um, he got really into poetry. He wrote a lot of poetry throughout his life. In fact, there are people toward like the end of his life who were pushing him to get out of uh, music and just be a poet. They were like, hey, this is killing you, but you're very good at being a poet. Maybe you could do that with a bit more anonymity and not want to die.
0: Hold on, hold on, hold on. Are you telling me that they thought he would be less famous as a poet
1: (laughs) if you can believe it what i know it's a little bit like when alicia keys had that grammy winning album and then released that book of poetry the next year and everybody was like "Uh, what
0: (laughs) wait i did not know this happened
1: yeah that first album whatever was that had the song falling i don't Mm -hmm. even remember i don't we were 13 or 14 it won like five or six grammys and then her next move was to release a poetry book
0: Yeah, obvious, obvious sophomore effort. Mm Mm-hmm. Just build on that mass appeal.
1: He's building his mass appeal, and he actually has, like, no job prospects. Kind of just, like, living this 60s rocks, well, not even rocks are at that point, 60s bohemian life in Venice, California. Mm Mm-hmm. He's actually living on the rooftop of a building where some of his friends lived.
0: Uh, what?
1: It's, you know, it's a no-job-do-what-I-want sort of life. Got it. Okay. Around this time, he and his friend Ray Manzarek, I think that's how it's pronounced.
0: No, no, no. You pronounce it however you want, as long as you say it confidently. Okay.
1: Ray Manzarek. Yes. Or Manzarek. No. Or Manzarek.
0: The confidence part is the <laughs> thing you're missing there.
1: I want to give people the options.
0: <laughs> sure. You know,
1: whichever one of those works, I, I'm only going to say this name one more time in this whole bit. So... He,
0: okay. But what I'm saying is like, if somebody is there, if I'm having a conversation with someone mm-hmm. and I say their name wrong, I'm like, oh... Thanks for sorry. Please tell me how to say it, right? Mm -hmm. And make sure to get it right. I think it's a show of respect. For people on this show, Mm -hmm. none of those rules apply. For people on this show, the goal is you say it one time, and however it comes out of your mouth the first time, (laughs) you just commit and then you always say it that way. So if you said Mananopolis, you just stick with (laughs) Mananopolis every time, and somebody's like, oh, I think you mispronounced that. You'd be like, "Mm, interesting. Maybe, maybe not. And then you just keep going.
1: Okay. Well, his first name's Ray, so I'm gonna go with Ray. Around this time, Jim Ray and Ray, <laughs> yes, formed the Doors. They are the first two members of the band. Ray plays some instrument, ostensibly, because Jim sure the fuck doesn't. <laughs> he
0: doesn't. Okay.
1: Ray would later say at that time that Jim was quote living on canned beans and LSD.
0: Not the worst diet.
1: Uh. Well. Okay. Not the best. It's got fiber, I guess. (laughs) It's
0: fiber, exactly. And they went with the name of the doors, really.
1: Well, okay, so here's why they they named it the doors. It is named after Aldous Huxley's book, The Doors of Perception, which is about unlocking the doors of perception through the use of psychedelic drugs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's where we're starting off. Okay. That's the the jumping off point. Sure, but like the Manonopolis
0: duo was right there and they didn't take it.
1: (laughs) I really feel like tripping balls or like... (laughs) LSD was probably too on the nose for them, okay. and so they went with
0: Doors of Perception.
1: A, the Doors, yes, a literary reference. They bring in a few other folks. They've got like a five person band at this point, four or five person. I think it's four. I think it's five. But again, my confidence is not very strong in this moment right You're,
0: now. Okay, again, let me tell you: if you say it was seven people, mm-hmm. you just stick with seven. Run with it. Was it actually four? Yes. Does anybody listening to this know? No. <laughs> they they don't know until you tell them. You know
1: what? They're coming to us for this info. Yeah, exactly. Right. If they already right. knew,
0: they w- they would have skipped this episode. All of the all the Jim Morrison scholars are already not listening cuz they just couldn't even deal with the prospect of us mangling the history so badly. So, mm-hmm. everybody mm-hmm. left is just going to trust you whatever you say. So, just go, like go crazy, but you got to commit. You got to commit. You can't waffle on it. So, how many members were there? 5. Okay, 5.
1: <laughs> 5. 5. Five, I think. <laughs> so glad. So glad that
0: there were exactly five members. Fantastic.
1: So the band does pretty well pretty quickly. They formed in 1965. By 1966, they're actually touring, like opening for bands. They're an opening group that people know about. Mm-hmm. This is when Jim's second arrest happened. So to recap, the first one, Drunk and Disorderly. And
0: that was by, like nineteen. He's never been arrested while he was doing L S D and eating beans on a roof this whole time?
1: He was too busy studying film. He had something to occupy his time.
0: Yeah, but like the beans and L S D and Roof chapter of his life, he Mm-mm. like skirted scot free on that one.
1: I really feel like that's a very chill time in someone's <laughs> life.
0: Okay, sure. Have you
1: ever like beans on a roof with L S D, that is that is your that is your like chill period. Not getting
0: into any trouble then. Mm-mm. Okay. Okay.
1: No. So his first arrest, to recap, drunk and disorderly. The second one is much, much worse. This story is vague, even for biographers. But here's the gist of it. He and two other friends head out to the desert. One of the classmates that he goes with is named Phil. Phil somehow gets separated from him, from Jim, and the other person. Instead of figuring out how to find Phil, Jim makes up this story about how he and Phil were out driving around alone and how Jim killed him and then buried him in the desert.
0: Wait, when you say he makes this story up, he makes this story up in his head, and then who does he tell it to?
1: Like the third person he was with. So Jim and Phil maybe go out together. Don't know. Phil gets separated. Jim comes back. Jim and Phil are not together. Jim says to the other guy, oh, that's because I killed him. What the fuck? The other guy calls Phil's father and is like, hey... Um, We can't find Phil. Jim says he killed him and buried him in the desert. So Phil's father, who is a lawyer, has Jim arrested immediately.
0: Yes, reasonably so.
1: <laughs> yeah. So Jim's in custody. And in addition to this, like, did he or didn't he kill his friend situation, a 14 year old girl comes forward and is like, hey, he assaulted me by forcibly kissing me without permission and then drove off. In the desert? Like at the beginning of this little journey.
0: What the? Okay. Mm -hmm.
1: So, on top of this missing persons case, Jim is slapped with a sexual assault charge, rightfully so. And hours, a day or two later, Phil reappears in Arizona, someplace.
0: Wait, they were in California?
1: They were in the desert. Okay. uh, California, maybe Nevada, who knows? Phil shows up in Arizona. Phil made his way to Arizona. So, Jim is released from custody. All the charges are dropped, including. The sexual assault. Wait, what the He didn't... Somebody else came forward on that one. That wasn't him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They don't just know. dropped all the charges? That's... Yes. So Jim gets back back on with his life. 1966. He's 23.
0: Okay, so wait. Before we move on, I think what we've learned is if you want to get away with a crime... Mm-hmm. So he knew he had sexually assaulted somebody. Yes. Maybe the idea was, all right, all right, what am I going to do? What am I... Where'd this fell guy go? I don't know. You come back and are like... I immediately admit to committing some much worse crime. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely did it. Uh, body parts everywhere. And then, yeah, when,
1: they, when the guy walks, comes out of the desert, they just let you go. Everybody forgets about the little crime. Except the 14-year-old girl to whom the little crime happened. Okay, so it's more entertaining
0: if you don't think about the specifics of the sexual assault, just in general as a strategy. Sure. 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 Uh, yes, except for the actual victims of whatever your first crime is.
1: For legal purposes, I would like to note that we are um, not giving out tips on how to commit a crime. Just, these are hypotheticals, folks.
0: Yeah. Well, Audrey is not. I am explicitly giving you <laughs> instruction on how to commit your next crime and get away with it, just to be clear. Uh, free advice.
1: Only tested once. The The entire beta test was Jim Morrison. But you know what? It worked.
0: Worked out great for him. 100%. 100%. The, exactly. No, no downsides. No downsides.
1: By 1967, so now we're skipping ahead a few months, the Doors have achieved actually some national fame. They end up signed to this big record label. They have this quick rise to the top, and in September of 1967, Ed Sullivan, holy grail of television, wants them to perform.
0: The Tonight Show, right?
1: Ooh, uh, Ed Sullivan show. Yeah, Tonight Show from the Ed mm-hmm.
0: Sullivan Theater. Sure. Yeah, that's what they always say it, yes.
1: So he asks the Doors, hey, love your stuff. There's a lot of drug references. Will you change one or two lyrics so that we can sell this to families, right? Can you change one of your lyrics from girl, we couldn't get much higher to girl, we couldn't get much better? The band is like, yeah, no problem. The whole band. But then at the last minute, Jim is like, fuck it. and seems the original version. Ed Sullivan loses his shit. Yep. He won't shake hands with the band. He's like screaming he'll never invite them back. Their manager comes backstage and is like, what did you do? You'll never get to do Sullivan again. And Jim Morrison looks at him and is like, we already did Sullivan. We just did it. That was doing Sullivan. We're done.
0: Yeah, I mean. He's got a point. Burn that bridge once you cross
1: it. Yes. At this point, it's, you know, the band has been together a couple years. And they're starting to realize that not only is Jim kind of this eccentric guy who writes poems and does psychedelics and admits to murders he didn't actually commit right he's actually that sort of chaotic (laughs) Yes, (laughs) he's a bit violent and he's becoming a belligerent erratic alcoholic December 1967 so the end of this year one of their most infamous performances happens Jim is waiting for the show to begin He is, unsurprisingly, fooling around with the girl backstage in this, like, bathroom shower area. I don't know. A security guard walks up, finds him, does not recognize Jim. And he was like, hey, beat it. And Jim looks at him and says, eat it. To which the security guard responds by macing Jim in the face on the spot. Okay, okay. The show is delayed.
0: Yeah, just one of those classic (laughs) mix-ups.
1: Yeah, little, whoops. Uh-huh, got to get the mace out of his eyes. Uh, eventually, Jim is ready to perform. They're very popular. The, the whole stadium is packed. He goes on stage. He starts performing. For whatever reason, gets really worked up on stage. And he starts ranting about this specific security guard, (laughs) calling him a little blue pig. And then that leads to him ranting about the cops in general, calling them all pigs. He starts using like curse words and he's really vulgar about it. He makes some, you know, like innuendos about what those blue pigs should do to him. And um, the cops who are there were like, "Okay, then we'll arrest you on stage right now. And they do.
0: Wait, they come up and arrest him on stage during the show?
1: Yes, for public indecency. For all of the like vulgar things that he's saying on
0: stage. I mean... I, you know, it'd be hard to get arrested for public decency nowadays. I feel like
1: I feel like it would. Uh, I feel like it would be, yeah.
0: But it's a real kind of like Kanye move. Mm-hmm. I feel like mm-hmm. I could see. I could see the TMZ story now, where Kanye like sing, does one song at a performance <laughs> and then spends ninety five minutes railing against the person at Jamba Juice that like <laughs> fucked up his order, and then just like.
1: It's exactly right. It's exactly right. And then writing a whole album about it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> And then in the next album, referencing both the ranting and the other album that went platinum based on the jumping (laughs) shoes. So that didn't happen here. Uh, A riot breaks out.
0: They go to arrest him, and a riot breaks out in the crowd.
1: Oh, yeah. The show's canceled. They've been waiting all day. They get on stage. Jim Morrison performs like two songs and he gets arrested. (laughs) (laughs) At least 13 other people are arrested at this riot slash concert. But life goes on for Jim again. He uh, pays whatever fine he has to pay, and it's like, whatever, he's a bad boy. And you might be thinking at this point, wow, that's a lot of turmoil in a short amount of time. But I'm noticing you've only talked about him as a rock star. What about his personal life? Probably very balanced and smooth sailing, right? I
0: mean, I I imagine, yeah, I'm not sure how much of a personal life I imagined he had outside of this. I imagine his personal
1: life was hanging out in the bathrooms before a show. Uh, But sure. Yeah. What you got? (laughs) Uh, Well, arguably, it was much more destructive than even the shit he did on stage. So we're going to talk a bit about the Jim Morrison behind the scenes. So at the same time that the Doors are on the rise, Jim is in a relationship with this woman named Pamela. So the two met just before the Doors took off. Pamela was 19. Jim was 22. They bonded over being hedonistic and rebellious which is never a good place to start a relationship. If you are about to start a relationship and the thing that you have most in common with them is how self-destructive you are, don't get in that relationship.
0: Counterpoint. (laughs) What if you want to?
1: Well, it probably will not end well.
0: Okay, okay. You're welcome to do what you want. Fair point.
1: It's like that TikTok I sent you earlier this week where it was like showing my friend... You know, it's some woman who's like showing my friend this new guy I'm interested in and then pointing out all the red flags. Mm-hmm. And then it starts singing Pompeii by- Bastio. By Bestial. It's like, and if you close your eyes. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that's, that's what you're in for. If you close your eyes, all the red flags go away. That's right. So that's where we're at. Got eyes it. closed. They're in it. Some people describe their relationship as like open. Others describe it as on again, off again. It's fair to say it's a little bit of both. It is also fair to say that it was volatile as hell from the beginning. Jim called Pamela his, quote, cosmic partner, which is, I guess, like a soulmate, but different. Just as her relationship is picking up, the band touring requirements are picking up as well. Jim's traveling all around. Pamela is living in L.A. She is in the music scene, sort of like music adjacent. What I'll say is she is a muse for a number of artists okay there are a number of 60s classic songs written about Pamela
0: she hangs out around she's one of the people in the group around the musicians
1: right so she's in LA Jim is traveling he is not faithful by any stretch of the imagination but it also seems like there was kind of an understanding between the two for example like when he's traveling they're off when he's in LA they're on that sort of situation whatever their arrangement was that's how it worked A lot of drug use in this relationship. But one drug that Jim did not fuck with was heroin. Pamela fucked with heroin. Okay. So when Jim found out that Pamela was using heroin and also sleeping with her supplier, they got into this physical altercation. At one point, she hits him and then like runs and hides in another room. And so he does, you know, every put together, clear headed person would do in this situation. Lights the room on fire.
0: Wait, lights the room on fire? Yes. I thought, okay, we're up breaking down doors, you know, break lighting on fire, Now where, where I would have gone.
1: Yeah. We skipped a whole bunch of steps, like punching holes in the drywall, skipped it. Okay. Screaming, getting the police called on you, skipped it. Straight to arson. Pamela manages to escape the fire, and despite it all, they remain together. Jim goes on, you know, in some of their off periods, to have a number of other public, all you know, albeit volatile, hostile relationships, sure, including one with Janice Joplin. That ended when he was mean to her at a party, so she tried to break a whiskey bottle over his head, a little this, a little that, back and forth, didn't last very long. Okay. Of his relationships, Doors producer Paul Rothschild recalls, quote, Jim really was two very distinct and different people, a Jekyll and Hyde. When he was sober, he was Jekyll the most erudite, balanced, friendly kind of guy. He was Mr. America. When he would start to drink, he'd be okay at first, then suddenly he would turn into a maniac, turn into Hyde. All of this is happening in the background of the late 60s, it's a tumultuous time in America in general, but the you know, 67, 68, 69, the doors start to get ultra-famous. We've got Beatlemania, that was like right before then, moving a little bit more bad boy, the doors, Jim Morrison vibe. And um, you know, everybody, like I said, knew that he partied hard and was had an abusive relationship with alcohol. And up until about sixty-nine, he could keep it together professionally. So he would record and then go get shit faced afterward, or you know, drink on his off time. By sixty nine Jim is showing up at the recording studio almost every single time, visibly drunk, unable to record. One other thing that starts to happen around this time that's kind of noticeable is he starts to gain some weight, which is like, okay, sure, who hasn't? I only bring this up because it's important to note that as his spotlight in the public eye grew, and let's just be very clear, he was only in the public eye for like four years we're talking, like, Jim Morrison goes from, like, fame to self-destruction in four years.
0: Yeah. How many years were we in when he let the room on fire? Uh, Two. Okay. Okay. Got mm-hmm.
1: it. So he's, you know, he goes from this very skinny rock star who gets the name Lizard King. Like, that's his nickname, the Lizard King, because <laughs> okay. he's, like, so lanky and kind of, like, gangly, yeah, I guess. Yeah, which
0: now I... It makes the uh, office quote that much better. I'm
1: the fucking lizard King. you yes. don't even know my real name? <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah. So when he goes from being this very skinny lizard king of a rock star, leather pants, no shirt, on stage performing enthusiastically to this person who gains a fair amount of weight, starts dressing quite, you know, it's like sloppy. he his hair gets really disheveled. he grows a pretty raggedy beard everybody starts noticing they're like oh no this is bad
0: Mm -hmm. hard to hide it
1: people started to get more concerned about his well-being but because he was so deeply anti-establishment and that meant even the people who cared about him who wanted to get him help he was not going to listen to it nobody was going to tell him what to do like that is the crux of his (laughs) a lot of his problems that there were people willing to help him but the fact that it was someone telling him what to do, automatic resistance.
0: Yeah. I mean, like anti-establishment to me feels like, uh, you know, against institutions. If it's also the people around you just being like, hey, we're worried about you. Be like, fuck the, fuck the system. No, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Not the same.
1: Anti... Um, I don't know, authority Authority figure, but they're not even authority figure. They're just people who are like, hey, if you want to survive, you probably should go to rehab.
0: Anti-healthy coping mechanisms, (laughs) maybe? Yeah,
1: yeah. Would not have done well with a therapist, I'll tell you that. All that's happening. Nobody's telling him what to do. His band is like, okay, I guess we'll let it slide. We're still performing music. We're still getting you know, famous notoriety. But then he starts showing up late to concerts.
0: Not just recording sessions like before. Mm
1: -mm. And when he does end up showing up, he is often drunk and unable to perform. And when that happens, shit gets wild.
0: I mean, based on how the first time it went, I would imagine, yeah, people aren't too happy.
1: So I've got another story for you that, again, is not straightforward. And honestly, there should not be the number of conflicting accounts about this next story as there are, because there were 12,000 fucking people there. And there are still conflicting accounts that make it hard to discern what really happened. But I'll do my best. March 1st, 1969, Miami. Jim shows up drunk to perform. He shows up late. The crowd is already on edge because they packed 5,000 more people into the stadium than usual. Unsurprisingly, because Jim is drunk, he puts on a shitty performance. The crowd starts to get angry and a bit unruly. And so now, whether he did this next part as a means to like de-escalate the crowd or because the crowd had him so hyped up who knows but what what happens is he pours some champagne on himself or someone pours champagne on him somehow jim morrison ends up with champagne all over him okay he starts taking off his shirt he's hot now he's sticky and he screams into the microphone let's see a little skin, let's get naked, do you want to see my cock? People oh. in the crowd.
0: Okay, okay, um, not really.
1: <laughs> yeah, how do you respond to that? If Imagine there's like 12,000 people and you're in the back row and you're like, uh... no, thank you, please, don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'd rather not. Some people are enthusiastic about this, though, and they start undressing themselves. Apparently And I would say allegedly, except he was later convicted, like, yes, this happened. Again, still a little, like, did he or didn't he? Wait,
0: he was convicted for the other people undressing themselves? No, no, no,
1: this next part. I'm just setting this up because there is still some question about whether he did it. And so typically I would say, like, allegedly. But in a court of law, he was found guilty to have done this. But a lot of people say, like, no, that did not happen. What he does is he shows his penis to the crowd.
0: If if you descend, like, would you put money on what happens next? (laughs) I'd be like, I bet he shows his cock to everybody.
1: Yeah, yeah. So rough, rough. Ends up leaving the stage, finishes the performance, but four days later, the Dade County Sheriff's Office issues a warrant for his arrest, claiming that the rock star exposed his penis on stage shouted obscenities to the crowd, was drunk during the time of his performance, and simulated oral sex on another band member.
0: I mean, I feel like not all of those are really crimes, though.
1: (laughs) I mean, really? It's a fine line, and they walk it hard, brother. (laughs) Regardless, Morrison ends up turning himself in, like, in a month, like within the month. And, like I said, he was actually found guilty on charges of, like, public profanity and exposure he's eventually sentenced to six months in jail for those charges but he pays a fifty thousand dollar bond he's out on appeal it should be noted that the band member robbie krieger that it's claimed that he stimulated oral sex on denies that that happened so there's a first-hand account either way you can tell that you know things are getting out of control I actually skipped over one of his arrests because it wasn't that interesting, but I just want to point out that between the mace and the penis arrest, he was arrested for another drunken disorderly.
0: <laughs> okay, yeah, but like at this point, it's like, oh, another drunken disorderly. Another. Yeah. whereas, yeah.
1: As you would imagine, if you skyrocket to fame and a lot of that fame is predicated on your sexy lead singer, who is this like big rock star, and that sexy lead singer, Starts to do things like expose himself on stage. You might experience a bit of tension in the band. These are like young 20 somethings. Most of their brains are not finished developing. A lot of tension. A couple of the other members have since shared in their own memoirs or autobiographies that they were literally scared of Jim and his anger at this time. They described him as a lunatic and a psychopath whose voice, quote, struck terror in other members of the band. And one member of the band, the drummer John Dinsmore, describes an incident during this time where he actually walked in on Jim holding a knife to a woman's throat while holding that woman's hand behind her back. But because of Uh, how quickly the band was achieving success, he didn't report it or a number of other violent incidences because he was worried that it would affect the band's success.
0: I mean, yes, if you're holding someone against their will with a knife to their throat, my guess is that it would affect your ability to show up at work the next day when you got arrested. I don't know. Like, yeah, it's going to affect their, their success.
1: He did, Yeah, he really didn't want the, the public to know that this stuff was happening behind closed doors. Continues. Jim continues on this downward spiral. He's still dating Pamela. He also, at some point in 1969, meets this woman named Patricia Keneally. And really hot and heavy relationship really quickly and they end up doing a hand-fasting ceremony. Do you know what a hand-fasting ceremony is? Is it like a hand-binding ceremony? It is, yep. So it is a non-legally binding Celtic ceremony that's like equivalent to marriage in Celtic traditions. In her memoir, Patricia described it as quote a blending of souls on a karmic and cosmic plane. So they do this They, like, scribble up this piece of paper that says, we declare ourselves married. Again, not legally binding. Okay. But they continue to live separate lives. He's touring. She's the editor of this very popular magazine called Jazz and Pop. That's how they met. She was, like, interviewing him. It's very Almost Famous-esque, right? Sure, sure. And in her memoir, Patricia said that living separately was fine. She had no interest in, quote, washing his socks. (laughs) I mean, yeah. And she did not want to be domestic. Surprise, surprise. Right after their quote unquote marriage, Jim started acting erratic and abusive. She described him as cold and brutal and angry and difficult. And she said within a few months, she realized that maybe, quote, he hadn't taken the marriage as seriously as she thought.
0: You know, uh, I feel like, let's be specific, maybe he didn't take... The hand-fasting ceremony (laughs) as seriously as she thought. And, yeah, maybe one of the clues uh, was that they scribbled on a piece of paper we're married. Mm -hmm.
1: Right. And he's still seeing Pamela at this time also. Just keep that in context. Okay, okay. That never really ends. In addition to not taking the wedding seriously, he is also taking a whole bunch of other shit less seriously also. He really becomes incoherent when he performs. Band members threaten to quit. One of them goes on this campaign at their record label to get him kicked out. No avail. They're like, no, he can push through. August of 1970. Jim's pushing through. Gets arrested again. After a night of drinking, he falls asleep on this woman's porch. She finds him, calls the cops. He is once again arrested for drunken disorderly. And he, like, pays $25 and goes about his life.
0: Porch sleeping. Yeah.
1: Porch sleeping. So that's August. In December, during a show in New Orleans, he was so drunk that he could not remember the words to any of their songs. So instead of trying to, like, remember the words of their chart topping, light my fire, he decides he's just going to improv a joke. And he goes on this long winded.
0: Oh, God.
1: Rambling. It's no way it's coherent. Joke.
0: Can you imagine (laughs) if you go, you buy tickets for this rock show and you're super psyched and you get there and they come on stage and instead of playing their music, they start doing improv. I know. Like,
1: what a nightmare.
0: What a nightmare. Absolute nightmare. Oh my God.
1: I don't think it went well for Jim either because here's what happened after that Uh, the crowd gets very upset. He attempts a few more songs. The band is like, come on, we'll play the music. It'll come back to you. But he has to use the mic stand to hold himself up. And at some point, he sort of like topples backwards and ends up like sitting right in front of the drum. And the drummer then like uses his foot to nudge him back up like, hey, we're playing this song. Jim does not like that. Instead of getting up and performing his songs, he gets up and uses the mic stand to smash a whole bunch of shit on stage.
0: Hmm. Okay. Okay.
1: So, the Doors never perform publicly again after that. That was it. In early 1971, a few months later, they record their final album. And when it's over, Jim decides he's going to go live in Paris with Pamela. That's the girlfriend, not the fake wife.
0: Yeah. Okay, got it.
1: He gets there in March, and things actually kind of turn around for him. It seems like being out of the spotlight is good for him. He has a little space. He has a little bit of anonymity. He's writing letters to friends about how he's walking all around Paris all the time and he's enjoying life again. He shaved off his beard. He's like shampooing his hair. He loses some weight. But of course, he was still abusing alcohol. And so he gets her in March, like I said. And on July 3rd, 1971, Jim Morrison's lifeless body is found in the bathtub by Pamela. The official cause of death is listed as heart failure as a result of prolonged alcohol abuse in France, autopsies were not required at that time. Um, and there are like some states in the United States. I don't know if you know this. Like if there's a witness to your death, you don't have to have an autopsy. But if somebody finds you or there's only a single witness to a death, an autopsy is mandatory.
0: I, I did not know this. Yeah. But it makes me a little concerned that you do know this.
1: Um, I mean... <laughs> My sister's a nurse, but I learned this from another nurse friend. It
0: just so happened. It's like you just so happen to know that if you were the one who (laughs) saw me die, there wouldn't be any questions, (laughs) and they would not have to do an autopsy legally. In
1: France, they would.
0: Okay, well, in the
1: United States, if there's only a single witness or someone, depends on the state. Depends on the state. (laughs) Depends on the state. You know what? In the state that we live in, if I discover your lifeless body, there would be an autopsy required. I'm not moving. (laughs) So there's no autopsy. And speculation is rampant that actually, when he went to Paris, he got into heroin with Pamela because mm. she was still using heroin. There are also a ton of conspiracy theories about his death. He had all this legal trouble pending in the United States. There's the Miami exposure case, so, you know, three or four of the other arrests, there's still stuff he has to deal with. He's in a contract with the studio, doesn't want to go back. And some people believe that then he just, like, faked his own death and lives in obscurity alive today just to get out of all of that.
0: Somehow, my first assumption isn't that the guy who was <laughs> exposing himself on stage and couldn't remember his lyrics mm-hmm. was then able to pull off a 60-year uh, heist slash death faking in order to live in obscurity and stop making money.
1: I tend to, I tend to side with you. Yeah. I'm just trying to give the people the facts. There's also one other theory about his death, which is that he people think he might have been murdered by Pamela, injected with heroin against his will, or some other drug foul play. Regardless, officially, he's dead. I mean, like, on paper, officially, he's dead.
0: It sounds like in the real world, practically speaking, he's very dead, too, just to be clear. You
1: know what? That's That's the vibe I get. <laughs> yeah. I'm going with that line. He dies in Paris. He's buried in Paris. And in fact... His gravesite is the second most visited tourist destination in Paris, second to the Eiffel Tower.
0: Not what I would have expected.
1: Right. Louvre, right? That's what yeah. I would have gone with. Yeah. No, his gravesite is infamous, uh, vandalized a lot, a lot of shrines. It's a big security concern. People, the Some people at the cemetery tried to get his headstone removed so people would stop coming to visit. But- That didn't work, so now it's just a a landmark. So for the treatment of his bandmates, his abuse of women, his seeming willingness to light his girlfriend on fire, the riots he caused, the non-consensual exposure of his genitals, and the general ambivalence toward other people in his life, Jim Morrison is not my hero. It's a very tragic story, but it still doesn't excuse the way that he treated other people. And it seems like a lot of people suffered as a result of his behavior.
0: If people would like to hear us not make excuses for other heroes from history.
1: Yeah, while still suffering and <laughs> because of our behavior.
0: Where can they find us?
1: They can find us on social media at your heroes pod or on our website at meetyourheroespodcast.com.
0: Yep, and please like, share, rate, review, spread the word, tell your friends. And until next week,
1: don't be a hero.
0: Don't be a hero.
1: Bye.